in the reading corner today, I'm welcoming Justin Edwards, and we're going to be talking about his debut novel, The Great Fox Illusion, which had me hooked right from the moment because it's great storytelling, but there are also lots of tricks to be solved along the way. It's a sure way of keeping your audience engaged as you're reading. Uh, So first of all, welcome to your first visit in the reading corner, Justin. Thank you. Lovely to be here. To begin with, I wonder whether we could start by telling our audience a little bit about this story. Uh, So a world famous magician illusionist has died and um, basically leaves behind a competition. It's kind of taken over and made into a TV show. And the competition is really to become his successor. So to win his legacy, all his tricks and illusions. And 13-year-old Flick takes part in that competition. Mm. And Flick herself, her father was a great magician as well. And he has disappeared at the beginning of this novel. Yeah, so she knows that inside the illusionist's house, uh, because the competition is set in, in his old house, she knows that inside that house, some clues to the her missing father, but also um, she knows about this this great magic trick. There's there's one particular secret that she's particularly after there, and that's why she's really entering the competition to to work out what's going on with that. Mm. It seems like this world of stage magic is a place with a lot of rivalries and tension and competitiveness between magicians. Yeah, she um, she very much sort of steps into that world and finds herself the centre of a lot of unwanted attention, really, from different rival magicians and groups of magicians, um, people who also want the secret she's after, but also kind of want to protect their own interests. And, you know, without giving too much away, at the end of, at the, end of the book, she's really kind of immersed or thrown into that world and then what follows what I'm writing at the moment the the second book is kind of the repercussions of that world she's stepped into really that those rivals and those interests she's got the attention basically of a lot of people who don't have her best interests at heart and Mm. who yeah want to want to use her or find out the secrets she's after as well or prevent her from doing Mm. certain things as well so yeah she's made some enemies Well, there's a lot for us to discuss before we even get to the ending of the first novel. And I think a really good way into this would be if you wouldn't mind reading a little bit. Sure. This is from the beginning of chapter one, The Robbery. Few robberies are advertised. Thieves don't broadcast their crimes on TV or put up huge signs telling everyone what they're about to do. Some might occasionally wave banners at music festivals, but as a rule, criminals don't normally like to attract attention. And yet, Flick was looking at a sign advertising a robbery that would happen on live TV. Admittedly, it didn't use the word robbery. You had to read between the lines, but it was obvious where this was going. The banner draped over the gate said, Welcome to the Great Fox Hunt. Enter the fox's den and uncover its secrets. The Great Fox Hunt was a new TV show about solving the hidden tricks in a dead magician's house. It was hosted by another magician 
who clearly just wanted to get his hands on his rival's illusions. It was a robbery. Flick stood with her mum in a long queue of people hoping to be part of the show. Now and then they would edge forward with Flick wheeling her suitcase behind her. When she eventually arrived at the front, there was a makeshift table and behind it sat a man with a beard, a lot of tattoos and a heavy dose of boredom. He shoved a form at Flick. Fill this out. Was that a Daffy Duck tattoo on his arm? Unless Daffy was a big part of his life, that might be one to regret. He chucked a pen at Flick and stifled a yawn. She carefully put her details in all the right boxes. All the important facts. Felicity Lyons, female, 13 years old, address, not a huge Daffy Duck fan, not even his early watercolour work. And now was the moment where this could all go wrong. To be honest, this was one of many moments that could end in disaster, but these next few seconds would be crucial. Would they recognise her name? Flick could feel her heart beating in her chest and her hands shook as she passed the sheet of paper back. The man looked at it. Flick waited half expecting him to reach under the table and set off some sort of alarm. Maybe a warning light would flash or a distant klaxon would sound. But nothing happened. Instead, he examined the form as if he'd never seen words before, which was possible. Then he stamped it, tossed Flick a numbered badge and used the same empty smile he'd tried on everyone else. Glancing down, he added, will you be requiring special... Flip shook her head. Nah, I'll be fine. He put the sheet in the out tray, collected and labelled her suitcase and waved her through. Welcome to the great fox hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, Flick is one of the contestants, of course she is, who gets through to the show, along with three other children. They actually have to compete in two teams of two. And there's a brother and sister on one side, and Flick is then paired up with another boy. Um, Can you just briefly tell us a little bit about those four characters? Because they seem to be a little bit of loggerheads at the beginning. In fact, they're not very kind to Flick. No. Um, So Flick um, has a prosthetic leg. Charlie, who she's teamed up with, tends to monologue quite a lot and he talks quite a lot. So he's kind of got his own issues to deal with, really. And he's also quite sort of OCD and quite definite about certain things as well. So he, he's he got a you know an interesting background as well. And then there are Harry and Ruby Townsend, uh, and they aren't very nice, but actually their family life isn't very nice. And the kind of pressure they're under as well, because they're being manipulated by uh, like a rival group of magicians as well so they kind of have their reasons to be not very nice and then Flick also finds herself being manipulated by uh, another magician so they're all kind of thrown into this mix in this house to kind of solve these puzzles with all these outside influences and pressures on them basically. So they're given these classic tricks and they have to unravel and be able to say exactly how they were performed. And the first one, I think, is it a David Blaine 
trick to David liberty. Yes. David Copperfield, yeah. the Statue yeah. of Liberty disappears. <laughs> yeah. So the David Copperfield trick is a, a kind of classic bit of 80s TV, I think, really, isn't it? Where he would just do these massive, large-scale illusions. And so they are they have to work out how he did it. And that then gives them clues to kind of get them on to the, the next stage in the competition. And they have access in the house to a library and information so they can sort of try and work out the methods and, and think about how it's done. Do you do much telling in your book or have you kept back some of the mystery for readers? Well, no. <laughs> um, you know, I find it quite fascinating. I'm not a magician, I don't perform tricks. So I learned a lot, if you like, about how these tricks are done or about, you know, how they're probably done because ultimately, you know, how David Copperfield performs his illusion He's not told me, so I don't know. But I, I find it just quite fascinating, the ingenuity behind it, really, I think, is like another level of interest. So, yeah, it, it, it does it spoil the trick? I'm not sure it does, really, because I find it quite fascinating how much creativity and how clever people are at working out like a series of things or a series of moves or a way of hiding something under something else or making something look like something else. Mm. All of those kind of processes. I think are kind of an art art form in themselves, really. I'm with you on that. Even when you know how a simple trick is performed, you can yeah. still have the wow factor. Um, yeah. I think you mentioned this house that they uh, are in. You know the the great foxes former mansion uh, that he's sort of really admired from his days as an end of peer magician. And that's also another character in this story. Is this a real house? Uh, no, it's not based on a real house, but it is based on the kind of feeling of that kind of house, really, and the, the concept of the you know, the end of Peer Magic Show and the, the kind of things that go on in seaside towns. Um, but really with the house, I kind of just let my imagination run a bit riot, really, and I just thought, I imagined myself as like a, an illusionist with unlimited money and time to build something fun and, and extraordinary. What would that look like? I think a lot of it is kind of wish fulfillment for me as well. Like I would, I would love to explore a house like that and find those kinds of things in it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It would be great fun. Really exciting. Yeah. So I have to ask you as well that you've mentioned Felicity Flick and her prosthetic limb and there's quite a lot of description through the story about the challenges that she faces because of that is that based on sort of real experience no it's not based on any personal experience of mine I have a lot of, quite a lot of disability in my family of different types and um, my brother's autistic um, my parents are deaf um, like profoundly deaf sign language deaf and so I, I've, I've always been surrounded or experienced a lot of disability so my admiration really for Flick as a character or the character that kind of came out as Flick was is very much based on the kind of traits that I see in those people with grit and determination to get done what they need to get done but I like the, the, the idea of Flick having that vulnerability if you like but, but it, she's really based on a lot of characters who I admire Interesting. So one of the things that crops up in relation to Flick and 
is mentioned, you know, just periodically through the story is about gender, really, and magic. And there have been female magicians, but I guess that if people were asked to name them, and I've done this myself only recently in reviewing your book, that every magician that I mentioned I realised was a male. What is it about this? And why do you think that sort of gender imbalance has persisted? So the male is the magician, the female is the assistant. That's the image that we have. Yeah, I suppose the traditions of performing magic is quite old-fashioned, isn't it? Because it goes back to some time. I mean, there are now, you know, some female magicians around. I think it was Faye Presto. Do you remember her? She was the first yes. female magician admitted into the magic circle as late as 1991. I know that the current head of the magic circle is a woman now, actually, which is great. Maybe that's something they're trying to address. But I guess steeped in tradition and secrecy has maybe kept it mm. closed that way something else that struck me was the relationship of storytelling and magic and that actually lots of people perform the same trick but it's the quality of your storytelling that really makes somebody's mouth go you know open in the big o the trick can be a small part of it. And the storytelling can be quite extended, can't it? Yeah. And, and the storytelling element does elevate it. In fact, it, you know, you could do quite an amazing trick, but if you don't really layer up the story and the drama and press on people how extraordinary it is the thing you're going to do, that's kind of what it's doing. Is if you don't really build that and build that anticipation, then it, it's, not, it's not so impressive, is it? Magic tricks are kind of like stories and stories are like magic tricks and thinking about that combination, that's what really then sort of fired me into wanting to write the book. I have got to ask you who you think is the best illusionist of all time. They're all so different, aren't they? I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a card magician called Shin Lim. It's amazing. Amazing. So deft of hand. <laughs> I mean, it, it is art, really, when you see it. It's extraordinary what he does. But then, you know, people like uh, Darren Brown or David Blaine manages to create just this immense sense of weirdness and mystery around him. Or even when you go back to people like David Copperfield, who perform extraordinary grand scale, you know, they're all they're all so different. I think Am I right that Shin Lim doesn't actually speak? It's it's quite balletic, isn't it, and choreographed, yeah. whereas some of the others it is about, the like Darren Brown, it's like telling a yeah. big story. Um, yeah. and there might be small tricks along the way, but it's a big story. It's very verbal magic, isn't it, with him, and it is about in, interacting with the audience and impressing on the audience what he's doing and explaining things, which are kind of adds to the mystery as well, and yeah, whereas, yeah, Shin Lim, I believe, was a concert pianist. So he kind of, what he does is like a virtuoso performance, isn't it? It is a, um, it is an art form, isn't it, of ballet or, or hand movements and things, really. Mm. But yeah, and no, no speech at all. Very, very clever, very clever. Inside this wonderful house that you have, uh, there's quite a lot of memorabilia. You talk about the Bosch painting and... Um, things like that. And I love those little touches in the way that you built up the atmosphere of the house. 
I was just really interested in how you gathered together all of that information as part of your research for the book. Just really thinking about what what a vastly wealthy, hugely successful magician would value, really, I suppose. And the writing about the house was was a lot of fun, really. So you've got a great idea behind the book, lots of tricks to solve, great characters, fantastic setting. But somewhere along the line, you've got to pull that all together to make a story and it has to have an arc. So did that come fairly early on in the process or was it sort of ideas driven and then the plot emerged out of that? It all came quite quickly, really, I'd say, for this book. It took me a few months to write it and then a few months to polish it up. But yeah, it it didn't really need much adjustment from what came out, the kind of the art that's there. And then across the series of the three books as well, the story that's going to continue has adjusted a little bit as I've kind of played around with it. But the major bits, uh, I think, came out of my brain fairly easily. There is a big event at the end of the first book. Some people that we think may have been gone forever may not be gone forever. I'm not going to say any more than that. But you're currently, I think, working on the second book. Now, I know it's quite hard to talk about that, perhaps without giving too much away. But I am interested to know what direction we might roughly be going in next. Well, Flick is still very much driven to find out what's going on with her dad and what's what's happened there, really. Uh, And also there's this trip called the Bell System and it the details and, and the, the story of that very much expands in the second book. And we get to see a lot of those same characters who we met in the first book. Flick and Charlie make some quite significant enemies, really, as a result of the first book. And that battle of that pressure and those competing forces kind of ramp up very much in the second book to try and get what they want. Can I just ask you about, as you've mentioned it there, um, this important bell system, which is the crux really of the, you know, it's what they're searching for. Is this something that you've invented yourself rather than being a trick that's out there that we know about? Yes, it is. It is of my making. It is. It has a history just kind of based on some reality and some invention. Um, But it is quite an amazing and scary and powerful thing let's just say um and a, and a very valuable thing as well that if, if people can get their hands on it it would well do more than just elevate their careers it is a is a thing with real world power basically wow so it's like uh, it's the equivalent of alchemists being able to turn base metal into gold it's of that importance yeah, it, 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 whoever could get their hands on it would be very rich, very wealthy, very powerful. You know, there's a lot of large-scale competing interests mm. who want it and will do anything in their power to get hold of it. So Flick and Charlie and the various characters are kind of very much in harm's way. Very, very exciting. I've thoroughly enjoyed book one. I can't wait for book two. How long am I going to have to wait? Well, I think to April... April next year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's walk I have any as far as I know that's when it is so mm-hmm. April 2023 I'm editing that second book at the moment I'm just basically finishing off the second draft uh, and then this summer over the next couple of months I'm going to start writing the third book as well I've got a plan and an outline for that so I need to just start writing really I tend to plan quite a lot uh, but up to the point where I get too excited and then I have to start writing it and then plan goes slightly out the window and I get very excited in the moment and who knows what happens. But it needs more planning at the moment and then I can get started. Well, I've got a plan this afternoon. After we finished our recording, I'm going to go away. I'm going to practice my palming. I'm going to play with my ghost deck and I'm going to get my Chinese rings out. Yes. <laughs> Put on a performance. <laughs> so yeah. thank you so much for joining me in the Reading Corner, Justin. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me and very lovely to meet you indeed. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. This episode is generously sponsored by Walker Books. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.